Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Hey everyone, and welcome to Raising Parents, the Parenting Science Insights podcast, produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Dina Sargent. Now, let's get started. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode. Today, we are here with an amazing guest. She has taken up her time and going to share with us a little bit about co-parenting. Um, I'd like to introduce Kirsty Miller. How are you going today, Kirsty? I'm doing well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, always, we're always glad to have you on. We've had, to everyone who doesn't know, we've had her on for a second time as we've had some technical <laughs> difficulties with the first one. So now this is the second round. So we're so blessed to have her availability to be able to come on again and share co-parenting with us, which I think is so important. Um, so Kirstie, do you want to tell a bit, tell us a little bit about yourself for people who don't already know you? Yes, um, Christy Miller, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I live in Santa Barbara, California in the United States, and I own a business called Solutions in Parenting. It's a parenting education and family consultation business. So I deal with everything family um, from before babies are born, uh, you know, all the way until they're, they've launched. So everything co-parenting, whether it's um, marriage counseling, parent education, counseling the whole family, um, also, I work specifically with families who are divorcing and help them construct good child sharing plans to, to help ensure that their kids are healthy throughout the divorce and reconfiguration of their family systems. Wow, that is such a large list that you work with. That must be a chore in itself to be able to jump between different clients dealing with different situations. It is. It sounds like a lot when I'm saying it too. What, you know, I think what we have to understand is um, parenting is everybody does it who decides to have a child or everybody's been parented in one way or another. So it's really relevant to most people. So it's, um, you know, it's not like rocket science or brain surgery. It's, it's something that's pretty relatable for most people. <laughs> yeah, that that is that is amazing way to put it actually. So um yeah, that's perfect. So before we get started, we love to start off with a little icebreaker, sort of get to know you personally before we get to know how invested you are in this topic. So um okay. just say the first thing that sort of comes to mind and whatever you whatever you can connect with the words. Um so the first one is book. Um, book. Uh, let's see. I was just re-listening to a book on tape from um, Brene Brown, The Power of Vulnerability. And uh, I reference it a lot because uh, I think I'm a visual learner and I don't have this one in print. So I keep going back to parts where I thought I'm thinking, wait, she said something great about shame or she said something really wonderful about connecting in conflict. And I want to remember what that was. So uh, I go back and I listen to that, that one, or at least parts of it a lot. Oh, well, I just saw her book the other day and I had to buy it. I, th I think it was you that actually got me the last time we recorded that um, <laughs> yeah. mentioning Brene Brown. And I'm like, okay, I saw that name and I had to get it. So I think I'm pretty sure it was you from the last time. So yeah, probably. That, I'm pretty such cool. A, I am such a yeah, yeah. I'm a fan girl. I have to say, I I'm not ashamed of it. I think Brene Brown is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I've been listening to a couple of things that she says, and it's 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 
pretty spot on the way that she describes things. And I think she's so funny. She's hysterical to me. So, you know, she <laughs> wraps up all these really serious, important concepts in just a, a really humorous way. So I, yeah, I appreciate her. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Um, how about movie? Movie. Um, I love the Shawshank Redemption. I just watched it uh, late night a couple of um weeks ago uh i just love that movie just because the um redemption just kind of comes through common acts of decency over a period of time between these two men who outside of prison would have nothing in common um but they build really this beautiful redemptive friendship and i'm not going to give the you know spoiler i'm not going to spoil the end of it but it's just from the very beginning to the very end a really beautiful movie okay that's perfect um how about podcasts <laughs> um you know i i try to stay away from news um unless i really want to hear something current i just feel like i end up feeling worse when I listen to the news, but I still don't want to live in a cave. So one of the ways I like to get my news is through a podcast called Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. It's from our national public radio um, broadcast company. And it also is very humorous, just super smart humor, all about current events. So I choose to get my, my news and some humor that way. That is a good way of doing it. It sort of filters uh, a lot of the stuff that you're not, you don't really need to hear. Yeah. Yes. How about a famous role model? Well, it's funny. I know I'm talking to you and you're in New Zealand and I think we probably have different uh, famous people, but one of the ones here in um, the United States who died just a few years ago, Fred Rogers, he's called Mr. Rogers. Have you heard of him? I don't think so. No, I don't think I have. Okay. Well, maybe you'll look him up. You might think he's weird. He's kind of like culturally classic and little. When I was little, I watched him all the way up until when my kids were little, he was still very, very much active and, He's this really gentle man who lives in make-believe a lot and is really um, patient and non-critical, non-judgmental. And there are just beautiful messages um, about human beings and life. And, and he's, he was just such a gentle soul. So I would say that's one of my role models. That's such a that's such a nice role model to have. I'm gonna have to look him up straight after this and see who look you're referring to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, how about for the last one, your course that you've completed? Mm, a course that I completed. I just got um, certified in um, nutrition therapy. And so um, I'm already licensed in, you know, psychotherapy, but nutrition, uh, in my belief, is just inextricably related to nutrition. So nutrition and psychology are super related. You can't have a good one with a bad one. So um, I do, I believe working on the inside of a person um, through nutrition is just as important as um, good mental health treatment. I think that's such a good combination and I've never thought about it that way, but yeah, it's true. Like your mind and your body mm -hmm. have such a big connection to each other that you have to find a balance between the two. So that is actually a really great course to sort of double up on as well. Well, a, a fun fact, Dina, is that um, serotonin, which is a chemical we produce naturally in our body is um, very important in the contribution to a feeling of wellness and um, flexibility and happiness as we call it. And that's not produced in the brain. 90% of that is produced in our gut. 
So if we don't have good gut health, as we call it these days, right, if we don't have a lot of the important flora in our intestines, we're not going to be producing naturally serotonin. So we have a bunch of really nutritionally unhealthy people walking around also feeling very depressed. Wow, that is that is incredible. I didn't know that. So that's a, see, that's a fun fact. We need to have you on again for another episode on your mind and body combination. <laughs> All right, so we brought you on today to talk a little bit more about co-parenting and the necessary need to talk about co-parenting because I think it's honestly so under-discussed. No one really talks about yeah. the different situations that can come across in co-parenting. And um, yeah. so, yeah, so what do you think, to start off with, what do you think your definition of parenting is? Because I know that it can look different for every person. So what's your mm -hmm. definition that you've sort of learnt on? Yeah, so it's funny because parent is a noun and parenting is a more of a verb, right? So they can go together or they can be kind of separate. So for me, being a parent is someone who engages in the act of raising another human being, ensuring the health and safety and preparing them for being an adult. That would be my definition for being a parent, um, someone who is doing that. And then the act of doing those things is parenting. Okay. Wow. That's a, that's a really good definition. I love how you've separated it as well. It's such a, it's two different, completely <laughs> different meanings if you want it to be. So yeah, that's perfect. That's right. Mm -hmm. So what do you think expected parents need to be aware of in their transition to parenting? Well, I don't want to scare anyone if they're listening to this, if they're like about to have a baby. <laughs> but how about just like a complete shift in your world as you know it? Um, and I do really mean that in the most positive way possible because Parenting is a journey that, um, you know, you kind of set your GPS on the things I talked about, raising and caring for and preparing uh, another human being. But you honestly do not know what that means until you're, you're taking that journey. And, um, you know, roles that you've had up until that point in your life completely shift. Uh, the basis of your relationship with the person you're having a baby with will shift. How you look at the world around you will shift. Um, your capacity for love will shift. All of that shifts. Yeah, I, I definitely do see that. And it's, um, it's really, it sounds terrifying because like every, not everyone can sort of adapt to change as quickly as you think. <laughs> but it also sounds like such an incredible journey. I, I mean, there's nothing like it, literally. So um, it's all of it. It's terrifying. It's miraculous. It's, uh, it's up. It's down. It's, it's all of it. Um, right. So, and it's different for everyone. You know, sometimes becoming a parent is not always the happiest thing in the world for some people. And, uh, you know, I don't think we talk enough about that. Uh, but, but certainly that is a reality for many people. Mm -hmm. No, that's, that's, that's very true. It is, um, I know plenty of people who sort of are very set on not having children. And I feel like people judge a lot of others for that, which is, it's yeah. really sad because not a lot of people do want to have that experience. They do want to focus on other things in life or maybe even stop. Like I know one person in particular, a friend of mine, she is very set on not having children because she knows the medical risks that could take place in her gene genealogy. So that's one of yeah. the reasons why. So there's just so mm -hmm. many things that you don't know the reason why they won't so right 
yeah, I think we don't talk about that enough and I definitely agree with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So going on to a little bit more about co-parenting, how would you define co-parenting? Well, I think co-parenting is very much the same as parenting on many levels. It's doing the parenting with someone else. So you're sharing the parenting roles and responsibilities with another person. So how, with that kind of definition, is it just people, two people, it doesn't matter if they're together or not, or is it just, is it more focused? Because I know it's a lot more focused on when they say divorce people, they go co-parenting. But married couples sort of do face that kind of thing as well. Yeah, so it's interesting, and I think maybe you and I talked about this the the first time around, and particularly in America, um, parenting seems to kind of imply doing something together. So when when we have so when we have together families, we don't say my co-parent, right? We say my husband, my wife, my spouse, my partner. Uh, when when the families are separate, that's kind of when we really start talking about co-parenting as a, as more well defined, I suppose. Um, and again, I do I do a lot of work in in all aspects of co-parenting, but really when we're talking the term co-parenting, I I do also use that a lot uh, for separate families. So it's not really set to define. So like when talking about it, I know that in some households, there are a lot of households where it's one parent that usually spends more time raising the kids while the other parent is not Mm -hmm. as interactive with the kids. Is that still considered co-parenting or is it one pilot and co-pilot kind of situation? I call it all co-parenting. I I mean, and co-parenting can be between, you know, biological parents, that can be co-parenting. It could be um, step-parents, that's co-parenting. It could be one of the biological parents co-parenting with a grandparent or a different family member, or, you know, it can be whatever it is. So I think that's why I, I kind of delineated parent and parenting a little bit in the beginning, because... It doesn't have to be a biological experience. It, it can just be either a noun or a verb. And then, you know, it comes in all shapes and sizes and colors and all of that, that concept of parenting. Okay. All right. So the roles in co-parenting, for co-parenting when parenting, what are, are there specific roles that each partner sort of plays? You know, the, that concept of roles, if I could just diverge for just a moment, um, it's, it's a really important conversation to have because um, I think we underestimate or maybe we're not aware of what our roles are before we have a child, before we bring a child into our system. And I find that that's what a lot of people come into my office, just feeling completely unmoored and not sure and how everything feels kind of like new and I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know who I am. So when we're talking about a role shift, it's oftentimes a very uncomfortable experience because it's completely new. They don't have the scaffolding yet mentally um, experience-wise to be able to integrate their new experience. And so in my opinion, that's what creates a lot of um, disconnect in couples who are parenting because they can't identify that what's happening for them is a role transition. It just feels like everything's wrong or scary or you know, and then resentment builds up and then there's conflict. And then before you know it, there's marital discord or relationship discord, and it can be really powerful. So the concept of roles is important because 
research has shown across the board, international research, not just American, that when people are strongly identified with specific roles, there is less divorce and less marital conflict in those areas of the world. And that's because as human beings, we really need to know what our purpose is, that that will help guide us in whatever we do. It will also allow for people who are in relationship with us to define their roles and what they do. And there's not this kind of like um, unclear overlap Right. So I'm not talking just gender specific, but that's part of the studies that were involved in um, more specified male, traditional male roles versus traditional female roles. And when those were more well defined, there was reported happier relationships because they knew they could rely on each other to do those things and they weren't being relied upon to do these things that they didn't know they were supposed to be doing. And then, you know, that's where all the miscommunication comes in. So roles are really, really important. Um, so defining those roles may be a little more difficult than what it sounds like, because we have to first be aware of what our roles are. In and one second, sorry, my ear fell out. Um, Oh, that's okay. And when when um, when people who are going to have babies want to know whose role is what, we really need to be taking at a look at some of the main roles. Those have to do with taking care of the child's biological needs, um, making sure the child lives in an optimal environment, meaning they have the resources they need, their basic needs are being met. Um, making sure that they're protected and safe, um, making sure that they're being taught and educated, you know, making sure that they're being taught uh, their social emotional um, language and that they're taking care of uh, gentle discipline, hopefully gentle discipline. So who does those things in a co-parenting relationship? That's the tricky piece to figure out. Mm -hmm. Yes. So is it, when talking about that, is it easier to sort of define what roles are needed for the household first before you sort of de de um, dedicate those roles to each person? So I think, I know a lot of households are different. Like some people have two working parents, some people have one working parent, but having those roles, mm -hmm. I guess, known what is needed for that household specifically, I think would be the first step. Absolutely. And, and ideally they will have had those kinds of con um, communications and conversations in their relationships already. You know, you take care of these things. I take care of those things. And then we'll, talk about the other things that come up and work it out. And, you know, we can rely on each other to do those things. Um, that's where we're going to have much less conflict when we introduce a new little person into that equation. When you're sort of having that discussion with your partner, I know that as kids get older, things change and um, different scenarios occur. Whereas like if one child is getting older now and it doesn't really need that much care, which means the other parent can work on their life or go back to work. How do you bring that conversation up in the middle of already sort of roles are set? Mm -hmm. Right. You know, um, that's a really important question. And, and I think, you know, I could have many answers to that question if I can talk in this sort of um, ultimate case scenario, best practices kind of format, um, it would have to do with relying on a previously established pretty good communication system where uh, 
you know, they can afford to feel flexible. They can afford to feel like they can negotiate. They can afford to feel like they're going to work out whatever big changes come their way. I know that that's not how many, maybe even relationships work. Um, so when I, when I work with families and especially with couples with children, I like to get the couples before they have babies so we can really get them grounded in this system. But it's something I call the, the family value system. And it's, and it's there to establish what is most important to both parents, what our, what our core values are. So values are beliefs. Um, that center around what we need most in our lives to feel happy, healthy, loved. And so if the two co-parents have gone through kind of this, the exercise of identifying sort of their top five to 10 shared values, so it may be honesty, reliability, helpfulness, financial security, spirituality, you know, it may be something along those lines, then what naturally sort of flows from that is before they have children, they sort of base all their big choices, even their daily division of roles on those roles. I mean, on those values. And so you really can't go wrong, right? So if you're pulling from the things that are most important to you, things are pretty much going to fall into place. You, when, you, when you invite a child into the system and you're talking about caring for the child, disciplining the child, all of those things that we talked about previously, you're going to go back to those same values and they will still apply to raising a human being because they are the things that are most important to you. So that is sort of an internal GPS for what may come up in a family system. And then you kind of just, there's more and more to that, but that's the fundamentals. Okay. So when talking about the components of parenting, what are some of the components that parents should be aware of and sort of prioritize in order to establish that healthy co-parenting relationship? So kind of going back to starting with what is on your values list, take a look at those things. Those are generally going to be the things that are most important. Um, it's really a good idea for parents to sit down and this can happen at any point throughout the parenting experience. It helps if you could do it when they're, when the children are babies, but, um, what are your, uh, what are your views or your wants in terms of education for your child? Um, what do you view as healthy? Uh, where is it you would like to raise the children? Um, what do you think about both parents working or just one parent or no parents? Who's going to help raise the child in terms of do we have family? Do we want to do childcare? What about preschool? Right. So all do we have a retirement savings? How much and when do we start? Uh, you know, so all of these things sort of you get in alignment with them and you speak very clearly on each one of those referencing your value system on all of them. I know like when it comes to having those conversations, I know that it's always really awkward to have, especially when you've developed a sort of emotional attachment to the person, but not really a financial or you're not in a position to sort of really have that comfort of asking that. Cause it's always, it's not an yeah. easy conversation. If you've known that person 10 years, you know that person two years, it's not an easy conversation. How do you establish having that, um, yeah. that sort of conversation that sort of needs to happen? Million dollar question. Um, <laughs> it's going to depend. It really will depend. Some people can talk really easily about money um, and get caught up on education, right? Some people can talk really freely about education, but can't talk about sexuality. 
that, you know, so, and there are all those combinations. So there's, there's almost always going to be one of those tender spots for somebody. And there's really no way to avoid it with kids. Cause as soon as you have a child, they're just going to shine a light on every area of you, whether you want to deal with it or not, you're going to have to at some point. Um, so it is a matter of trusting your communication system and just kind of being relentless about making that a really strong part of your parenting foundation. So when talking about a bit more about co-parenting, I'm sort of seeing that there's a lot of a cultural influence that a lot of parents will be dealing with. So what yeah. impact does culture have on co-parenting? Yeah, so everything, if you ask me. I feel like there's a biological response to parenting, which is pretty similar. You know, we all kind of want to keep our children alive. <laughs> I think there's a biological drive to do that, regardless of where you are. I think that the culture very much shapes the expectations and, um, and hopes for children. And... Um, in doing that, it also, culture also very much informs how people think of themselves as parents. So the idea of a parent, the noun, is really very different depending on where you look in the world, um, as well as the verb of parenting. Very, very different. Um, and in America, um, we are very focused on being incredibly involved in every single solitary moment of our children's lives. And it can be a lot. You know, we, we turbo parent here and other places in the world kind of just let the children create their own realities and their own experiences, way more hands off. Um, and that definitely is based on culture. When dealing with a bit more of the typical challenges, what are some of the challenges that you've seen that sort of come up when establishing that healthy co-parenting situation? Um, I think, I, I mean, I have to say this because it's right, it's, on my tongue, but I think the cultural piece, when I sit with a bi or multicultural um, parenting team, that can either work really well or it can present some really big parenting challenges. And I believe that that cultural piece really speaks to the beliefs of a human being. And those beliefs are so embedded and not easily changed. You have to really be able to want to work on modifying beliefs. It doesn't just, you know, happen generally. So that can be a really big point of disagreement with a lot of people. Um, also that roles piece. So it's really interesting just to be a little more gender specific right now. Um, is that many times a, a, the woman, the mother, generally, if she has previously been working and then has a baby and has this kind of realization of, I don't want to go back to work. That's just, that's impossible. I'm going to raise this baby. No one else is going to raise this baby for me. And her parenting partner then has the responsibility of, being the primary financial person, that's an incredible stress on a relationship. Those roles have completely changed. Even though they, they may be consensual, it still puts a huge stress on the family. There's so much adjusting. And then moving forward in that kind of really popular situation, I call that the chief domestic officer and the chief financial officer. Those there's um, <laughs> there are <laughs> there are inherent biases and 
um, differences between them as they grow older too. So the mom who has stayed home now has lost years of professional footing. And when she wants, or if she wants to reenter into the, uh, you know, professional world, she generally has to work a lot harder to do that. Um, so that's another piece where just that, that shift of roles puts a huge strain, not to mention family, not to mention where they live. For example, it's really expensive to live in Santa Barbara, California. Uh, a lot of the people who come in are dealing with financial issues. And of course, that's going to spill over into the parenting relationships. Yeah, no, that definitely, there's a lot of influence that comes into a lot of stress, stressors and triggers that come mm -hmm. into one of the things that I've sort of been thinking about is how much like going into, I know culture has a big um, influence, but does, um, does sort of like how you're growing up, how you're, how you've grown up sort of become a big thing as to how you raise your kid as well. Cause I know mm -hmm. that it can pass on like generational trauma or anything like that. So how big of an influence does that have on the parenting the co-parenting situation. If I had a dollar for every time I hear, well, that's how I was raised and I'm fine. You know, I, I would be rich by now. <laughs> um, but I mean, I, that's kind of a joke, but kind of not. It, it has so much to do with how we are going to be parenting our kids. Honestly, it's a cellular experience and the epigenetics involved in that. It's just, it, it takes, I think, a concerted effort to do something differently than how you were parented. And sometimes that's a really great thing. You know, if, if you're making better choices um, or, you know, it can be a great thing to take the good stuff from how you were parented and apply it to how you want to parent. But again, awareness uh, is key. And how do you make a partner aware though, if they're not like, if they don't notice <laughs> that the way that they're doing it is not the greatest, <laughs> how do you make them aware of the fact that it's not? Very carefully. <laughs> yes. So, um, so gen generally, the children will let the parents know. And, you know, the many parents will come into my office wanting me to see their children because the children are misbehaving or acting up. And nine times out of 10, I'll sit with the parents and we'll be able to solve the problem just through the parenting piece of it. So, um, you know, the, the kids are going to show through their behaviors, any unmet needs, right? Behaviors are symptoms of needs that need to be addressed. So that's always a nice starting point. Why, you know, why does the baby wake up when you yell, <laughs> you know, or uh, wh whatever else we want to put in, but it's really just, again, if we did or could have this really clear communication system that makes all those hard conversations just a little bit easier, but you got to be honest, as soon as we have a baby, and this is both a good thing and a bad thing for some people, our focus of what's good, bad, right, wrong goes through our children. So, you know, we could tolerate a lot as adults, right? Maybe too much sometimes. But if we think about what we want our babies and children to tolerate, nowhere near what we're willing to tolerate. So really being aware of that and then having the hard conversations, even if it is full of conflict, all of that, because it's so important to make sure the kids are okay. No, I, I really like, I really like, um, I love this topic. I love how deep that this topic can go and how important it is to, to everyone's lives, whether you have kids or not. I think it's such a, such a great thing to talk about. 
and I'm really glad that I get to talk about it with you today. So yeah, yeah that's always really good. good. Um, <laughs> so now we're going to go into the sort of practice and habit aspect of our show. Uh, what's a practice that you do or you even recommend to other people when sort of having that um, a good, healthy relationship? With, um, in terms of co-parenting? In terms of, it could be co-parenting, it could be yourself as well. Like what's something that you do or that you recommend to other people? I feel like, you know, it's taken me uh, many, many years to get good at this. Um, but I feel like if we can spend time every day focusing on getting our primary needs met. Um, Self-care, like, I don't really love that expression anymore. It's, it is just too overused. But really that meaning taking care of ourselves, meaning that, you know, we're eating well, we're sleeping well, we're getting lots of water, we're moving our bodies, we're, we're hanging out with people who make us feel really good, we're doing something for our world, all of those things, when we can check most of those off the list on a daily basis, we're going to be able to show up in all of our relationships in a much healthier way. And that's that's a really good idea. That's a really good point. So how how often do you practice the the art of um, well self care? We'll call it in air quotes. Uh, how often do you spend time <laughs> it's practicing okay. we on can, it? We can say it. <laughs> um, so I shoot for perfection and then end up in about the fifty percent range. So, which I still consider absolutely enough, especially if I'm practicing on a daily basis. So I can't always get the exercise box ticked, right? I can't always drink enough water. My, the nature of my work is this, sitting, talking, listening. And so sometimes my needs will kind of take a back seat. But I can always, I feel like I can always make up for that at some point. So, uh, you know, I've learned to kind of be patient, not perfectionistic. It's, I'm, it's the long game here. And I realize that now that I'm a little bit older in my life. Mm -hmm. And what are some of the disadvantages, like what are the, some of the troubles or um the yeah what are some of the troubles that you get when practicing this so disadvantages or troubles that you face when practicing this on a day-to-day -day basis it can make my day really packed full you know it's like it's a, a constant to-do list and even though i like a lot of the things on my to-do list even positive stress registers as stress um, so just kind of finding that balance between motivation and perseveration, I suppose it's, um, I guess that's the only drawback. No, I, I love what you just said. Positive stress is still stress. I've never really, I've never really seen it as that before. So that's actually really interesting to me. So I've always seen like, um, mm -hmm. negative stress as stress and positive stress as motivation. But seeing it as still as yep. being stressed is pretty, it's really interesting. Yeah. Yep. A lot of the, the internal dynamic is the same. And how have you felt that this practice sort of in your perception, either in parenting or your perception in life, how has it affected your perceptions? Um my perceptions of parenting, for example. Yeah, 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 we can go with that. Well, since I am a parent, um, I, I feel like if I stick to my daily practice of the self-care, um, what I can do is feel really great about modeling for my children 
what it looks like to keep a really strong foundation and what it looks like to be healthy in relationship. So if we believe that 90% of what kids learn in the home is through modeling, it's what they see, not so much what we say, um, because they're watching. And if they're watching a parent take very good care of themselves and show up in a very balanced, abundant way, they are automatically going to learn how to do that as well. Yeah. I think that that's such a good model. That's such a good role model by actions rather than like follow my actions and follow what I say. I think that's, that's pretty cool. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. It's pretty powerful. So we're going to go into the. De- okay. Yeah. It really is, actually. So um, we're going to go into talking a bit more about sort of answering some audience questions that have been sent to us. Uh, so the first one is how to do a co parent when we as parents are separated on bad terms? Mm hmm. Well. It's, it sounds like it's a simple question, um, but as we're discovering about parenting, there's really nothing super simple about it because parenting is just another word for living our life. So when we are in conflict with a co-parent, um, that makes everything so much harder because it's not just about us anymore. It's really about our children. And with the enormous divorce rate, particularly in America, um, we have a lot of children stuck in the middle. And we also have a lot of co-parents deeply struggling with their own heartbreak, with uh, with their own stresses about trying to meet these needs of these individuals they're raising. Um, And if you are in conflict with your co-parent and it prevents you from doing that, you need to get professional help. It's not something that you have to navigate on your own. And there are professionals who can help mediate and who can help you come up with really positive and workable child sharing agreements. And there are some people who actually need to be held accountable by the court. And so there's always that avenue to take as well. And and if they don't follow through doing what's in the best interest of the children, they may be held in contempt of court. It could, you know, be bad for them. If they're not willing to listen to their co-parent, perhaps they'll listen to the court. Um, I generally don't like to co-parent with the judicial system. (laughs) I'm a little jaded, I think, but I do believe in some instances that is the only thing that will help a high conflict situation if both co-parents are not able to find that good communication. Okay. So what's the worst case of co-parenting you've ever faced and how did you deal with it? Um, Well, remember back in the beginning when I said pretty much anything family and co-parenting related, I do. Um, Within that spectrum, I, I work with parents who are engaged in what's called parental alienation and the children who are also affected by parental alienation syndrome. And that's where one parent um, turns the children against the other parent. And it is um, tantamount to child abuse, right? So it's spousal abuse using a child. And it is um, unfortunately fairly prevalent. And it hasn't been until the past five years or so did it become um, a little bit more recognized and certainly more recognized by the courts. Um, but that's the worst case scenario. And um, I, I deal with it in a very specific way. 
Um, that's way too long to detail this way, but I don't know if I can say it, it ever really gets solved. So it's that extreme of a situation. And if anybody out there wants to know more about parental alienation, um, maybe they could reach out. And um, it's a very scary situation to be in, but there are people who know who know about it and can help. Wow, that's that sounds like a really sounds like a really big emotional case as well. Honestly, that it is. Mm-hmm. So how to approach co-parenting in events that require both parents to be there for the child? Um, will you repeat that, please? So, yeah, so of course. So it's how to approach co-parenting in events where both parents are required to be there for their child. Oh, if this is a like a a sep- separated family? I wonder. Yes. Well, first you have to start from the legal standpoint. Um, sometimes there are legal orders issued where parents can't be at same events, but that's more rare. So you take care of that part. And then you do this other thing called getting along for the sake of the children. And that means if you can, or if you are, if you choose to get along well enough for the children, that means you should be able to show up at a, a holiday sing and have it not be, you know, a World War event. Um, if you can't do that for whatever reason, make the agreement and communicate with the child that you're going to sit this one out, but mom or dad will be there. Right. And I'll catch the next one. Can't wait to hear all about it sort of thing. But if you have to think what's best for the child in the situation and rarely it's best for the child if the parents are together and in conflict, it's usually better for the child for them to have access to maybe one parent and no conflict. And then they'll catch up with the other parent at a different time. But don't, you know, but don't sit next to each other if you don't want to, uh, you know, don't use that as a point in time to communicate the legal stuff with each other, whatever it is. It's all about the child and what will help the child feel better. Mm-hmm. So that, that makes so sense. And it fits so well with the holiday, the holidays coming up. I think that's a, that's a really good yeah. standpoint. <laughs> It's on my mind for um, sure. Okay, yes. So, we, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to go into talk about, um, give you a, like a session. We love to call this like a my open mic session where you get to talk about anything that you would like to discuss with the audience and would like to share with them. So yeah, I would love to give the floor to you and let you share anything that you want. Hmm. Wow. Um, well, I wish I would have thought more about this one. I'm sure there are so many things I could talk about. <laughs> How much time do I have? What are we talking about here? Uh, <laughs> oh, probably got about 10. Um, you can give five minutes or so. Well, because we were just taught, there was, there was something else that I actually wanted to mention that um, – in the co-parenting piece of it and keeping the children's well-being centralized, parents can misinterpret what that means. So when I say look through the lens of what's going to be best for the child, I really do mean that and have that be the first thing we think about when we're making any parenting choice. Um, the tricky piece is it can easily go from what's best for the child to only thinking about the children and not thinking about the impact for the rest of the family. And it's a tricky balance because many parents, you know, have a, have a reaction to saying no to their children 
and having their children have big feelings, hurt and angry. And, you know, a lot of parents' inclination is to kind of like, oh, okay, uh, well, this must be bad because you're having a big reaction. Um, Here, I'll give you what you need without thinking of the longer term consequences. So the important part here is to understand that children need to hear the word no and they need to be able to have big feelings and know that's okay and know how to kind of go from hearing no, having feelings and soothing themselves that cycle right there is what emotional regulation is all about. So one of our main jobs as parents, I, I mentioned kind of the, the socio-emotional piece of it. For me, I bumped that up to the top of the list because that is what children who grow into adults need to be able to do, manage their emotions on their own without relying on other people to do it for them. And the well-meaning parents who hurt when their kids hurt, um, which is, you know, again, a biological inclination. Um, that is, you know, number one sign that maybe we need to have a boundary in place for ourselves and ha- ha- knowing how to set really important boundaries, very important because that lets our kids know what to expect. That's what we can base our discipline on. Um, that to me is central to parenting as well as co-parenting. No, I, that is that's so interesting. And I think that is something that we don't, we don't really hear about. We don't really like to talk about because it's such an uncomfortable situation for all family members, but if you don't talk about it, it's not mm-hmm. going to be any less comfortable. That's the thing that is always buzzes me out, the fact that if you don't talk about it, it's just going to be even more awkward. It's going to be even longer for a longer period of time that it's not solved. So, yeah, right. I think it's um it's so important to be able to talk about it and to have that space where each family member feels like they can say something. That's right. And that they also additionally can have big feelings um, and that will be okay too. They're not going to get punished for it, that it, that's all part of the whole process. Yeah, no, that's, I completely agree with that. Um, so I want to thank you for coming on, Christy. You've been absolutely amazing and it's been an amazing conversation getting to talk about this. I love this topic so much and I love that we get to have you on to sort of share about it because I know that you'll have so much you'll have so much to say about it and that's exactly why we wanted you on in the first place. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you so much for joining me and if the audience would like to contact you is there a way that they can Yes. So uh, Solutions in Parenting is the name of my business. And the website is www.solutionsinparenting.com. They can get me through there. It's Christy at solutionsinparenting.com. I'm on Instagram, Solutions in Parenting. Um, I also, I, I wrote a book. And that also is out there. I think a a lot of people may catch my name through that. Establishing Boundaries with Kids is the name of the book. Um, Yeah, I bet they could contact you if they really wanted to get in touch with me too. (laughs) Yes, no, 100%. We'd we'd, we'd love that. We love um, sharing (laughs) your site around and sharing your advice around. I think it's it's so great. It's so great to have this avenue as well where we just get to bring on guests who really need that, um, really need to be seen in other countries. Like it's amazing that we get to hear you all the way from Australia. We get to get to talk to you and yeah, it's such, it's such a treat, honestly. For me too. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, thank you for coming on. Um, I'll have the links for everything down below. If you want to get in touch or look at the website a bit more, um, thank you everyone for listening and have a good time. You've been listening to Raising Parents, the Parenting Science Insights podcast, produced by the Parenting Science Labs, a division of LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. 
More episodes are available from 10 Life Management Perspectives and can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcasting apps available on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, share, and subscribe to our channel so that other people can find it and we can continue to provide quality content. More of our work can be found on our website at pa.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Dina Sargent and thanks for tuning in.